0: me. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been talking about discipleship, and uh, today we will continue to dive into that discussion, what it looks like to, uh, to be a disciple. Um, last week, we looked at Jesus and how he made disciples. And we noticed something about Jesus' way of making disciples. It really is, is very different from uh, m- modern culture. It's not really attractive or attractional. But even though there were some things that he did to draw attention, immediately he dealt with the truth of the matter. And so what we saw last week is that Jesus, number one, there was miraculous power that accompanied the ministry of Jesus, right? And it got people's attention. And immediately after it got people's attention... The propensity, that the, 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 what we do as humanity is that we, we like the miracles, right? So humanity went for more of the miracles, which was the fish and the bread. And when they came to Jesus for more miracle, for more fish and bread, Jesus addressed the heart of the issue. He said, what you need is not bread. What you need is me. I am the bread of life. Yeah. So he addressed that issue immediately. We also saw that Jesus, again, the way he makes disciples is, He uses his miraculous power for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Number two, he preaches the truth without apologies, right? He doesn't sugarcoat it. We see it all throughout the gospel that Jesus did not sugarcoat the truth. And uh, one of the incredible ways that Jesus makes disciples is by actually declaring or saying certain things that will make people go away, right? So what he did? You want to be a part of me? Eat my blood and drink my blood and eat my flesh, right? And he didn't really explain that. And obviously, he wasn't talking about the physical reality. He was talking about a spiritual reality, but he didn't care to explain that, right? Why? Because as he's calling people higher, ultimately, when you call people higher, some people are just not going to want to go there. And, uh, you know, have you ever been to a wedding and heard vows go like this? Well, I think I'm going to maybe commit to you. For rich or for poor, maybe? I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Never heard anything like that, right? That would be kind of scary, right? Well, in the same way as God calls us higher, God calls people higher, the commitment, the communication of that commitment, the reality of the covenant intensifies. So the call of discipleship is an intense reality. And so Jesus was loosing many folks in order to call disciples. And as we looked at that text, we said that we have to commit to seek him first, not the miracles. Thank God for the miracles. Ask God for the miracles, but seek Jesus first. Second, we got to commit to obey him because true belief is to obey God. We also said that we need to sustain ourselves with the sacrifice, what Jesus has done for us. We're not too mature as believers to the point that what Jesus has done for us on the cross cannot satisfy and cannot nurture. It still nurtures us right now, right? And we also said that we got to let the truth of God do the work. It is God who saves, not us. We got to declare the truth that if people respond how they want to respond, that's between them and God. We got to declare the truth of God's word. So today, I'd like to talk to you about one of the expectations of being a follower of Jesus, of being a disciple that is very clear in scripture. Today, I want to talk to you about being holy. I'm going to talk to you about being holy. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. Hagios is a Greek word. Uh, Hagios is a Greek word that could be uh, translated in many different ways. Consecrated. When something's consecrated, it's like an instrument that has been cleansed, that has been anointed and separated for holy purposes in the temple. When something's sanctified, something has been cleansed from all impurity. When something is set apart, it means, whoa, that can only be used for this. It can't be used for anything else, right? This is important. Imagine if the doctor, used the, uh, the surgeon uses the same scalpel to spread peanut butter and jelly, right? Uh, that, that, would, that, that would be weird, right? No, there are certain things that are set apart. And in the same way, God calls you and I to be holy, set apart, consecrated, sanctified, right, for his purposes. And before we dive into this message Holiness is something that intimidates us. It intimidates all of humanity, the word holy, in a sense. Why is is it that holiness is intimidating? Because of sinful nature, right? What does it introduce into humanity? Shame and guilt. And shame and guilt runs from holiness. So within the sinful nature, it's hard to grasp holiness because the sinful nature wants to hide, just like Adam and Eve. They want to hide uh, but holiness is a powerful, wonderful thing. And we need to redeem that word. Words like consecration, sanctification, being set apart, being holy. Those are, the, you love those words. Do you want me to prove to you why you love those words? Number one, God is holy. And you want him to be holy. What does it mean that God is holy? It means that he's pure. He doesn't have any double connotations when he speaks. He, he doesn't have any impure motives for you. He's not going to set you up for failure. He's not sitting up there in heaven like, Mwah. you know? He's not like, you know, leading you in this. There's a lot of people, I know it sounds funny, but there's a lot of people who think, what if I'm deceived all along? And they live their life in constant fear that God is not telling them the truth. That's not who God is. He is holy. Holy means pure. Holy even means vulnerable. God made himself vulnerable. He became flesh. Holy means humble, kind, gracious, perfect in justice, but great in mercy. And his mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment, which is justice, by the way. Judgment is not a bad word either. Judgment is good when a holy God is the judge. Right? But praise God Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's perfect in all these things. And thank God. Imagine serving a God who's not holy. That is disastrous. And then he says to you and I, be holy as I am holy. Wow. Big shoes. Show mercy like you, grace like you, justice like you. Big shoes. But before you check out on this, I want you to understand, you're thankful that God is holy, and you love holiness. And I want you to know certain things. The IVP New Testament commentary said, described holiness this way when it comes to you and I. When it comes to you and I, how do we understand holiness? When someone is holy, when something is holy, something belonging to God, a people marked off and separate from the world by their way of life. So in other words, a person who is holy is a person who is set apart by God. Who does the setting apart? God does. Not us. God begins that process by calling us by his Holy Spirit. And then we respond. So God does the setting apart. And then he sets us apart to belong to him. And so we're in a relationship with him. We belong to him. And then our way of life, because we belong to God and because we've been set apart, our way of life reflects that we don't belong to this world. And we belong to someone. Either we belong to this world or we belong to God. We are created to belong because we've been made in God's image. And God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, perfect in unity, perfect in submission perfect in belonging, and you have been created in the image of God. Some of you may think that belonging to someone is negative or you only see that word in a negative sense, but you got to redeem that reality. Belonging is very important. Independence, independence is overrated in America. It's very overrated. You've been created in the image of God to belong, even in your singlehood, right? Even in your singlehood, it's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible time of your life and ministry that you'll never have again. It is precious unto God, your singlehood, and it matters to the kingdom of God. The greatest people in the kingdom of God were single people, we look and we see what they did, but understand, understand that even in their singlehood, they were in submission to the body and in submission to God. There's a sense of belonging. The kingdom of God is about belonging. And if we belong to him, our lives reflect the reality that we don't belong to this world. Now, what does that mean? You see, before we belong to God, before we belong to God, the Bible says that we belong to death. Those who are not in Christ are dead in sins, and to be dead in sin is to live in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 reads this way, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It continues to go that Jesus Christ set us free, brought us into his marvelous light, right? But before coming to faith in Christ, we were dead in sin. In other words, sin had dominion, we belonged to sin, it had control, like we were Pinocchio and sin was Geppetto, the spirit of disobedience, right? Sons of disobedience. Our father, our heritage, our inheritance was rebellion and disobedience. It's crazy, the way the Bible describes it, and it always leads to death. And also the Bible tells us that um, uh, again, that's not the reality for those who are in Christ, but it also tells us that this is, this is the picture of those who are not in Christ, who are not holy, who are not sanctified, who are not walking in the Lord. And this is 1 John chapter 2, what does it look like to, to live a worldly life? Or to, what does a worldly life look like? Because some would say, well, I live in this world. I have some of the cares, right, that I need to care for in order to care for my family and for myself. What does it look like to be of in this world but not belong to this world? Well, First John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the scribe said, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what does it mean to belong to the world? In, in layman's terms, it means this. If you're living your life solely guided by the passions of your own heart and solely guided by the vision that you've given yourself, and if, if the pride of life means this, the pride of life is saying, I don't belong to anyone. I don't have to answer to anyone. I do whatever I want, when I want, how I want, because I earned it, because I worked for it. As long as I stay in my bounds, that's an unsurrendered life. And let me tell you, you can be very morally right, and be completely unsurrendered. This is not about a moral code. It's not about a dress code. It's not about addiction or anything. This is about the lack of surrender, right? Does that make sense? So a life unsurrendered to Jesus is a worldly life. But living according to the Word of God displays that we are not of this world. When we live according to God's Word, it displays to the world that we do not belong here. Though we're here, we're not of here. And so Peter... In 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16, uh, uh, or 13 on down, speaks to us about this call to holiness. And, and I want to read that for you today. Let's read that together. It reads this way. Therefore, prepa- preparing your mind for action. He's talking to you and I. What do you think that means? I want you to think about that with me. God calls us to prepare our mind for action. The Bible says... Be sober-minded. Talk to me for a minute, really quickly. Popcorn talk here. What does it mean to be prepared in our minds for action? Alert. Alert, To be alert. Knowledgeable. Knowledgeable, To grow in our minds. What else? Focus. Focus. To be focused. Anything else? Ready to go. Ready to go with the command of the Lord. What was it here? Open to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Fully sober. I want to talk about this. Sober, this is not only talking about addiction. This is not just talking about drugs. In many ways, we can lose our sobriety without any of those things. With the relationship that we keep around. With the things that we watch on TV. With the posts that we're reading on Facebook. There's all kinds of things that can take our sobriety. And God calls us to be sober at all times. It's one of the reasons I personally uh, really have a strong um, conviction against hypnotic counseling or hypnosis. The Bible always says that we're supposed to be alert and sober. Why should I yield my mind for somebody to introduce thoughts into my mind? Doesn't seem biblical, right? We're supposed to be alert at all times. So, Therefore, preparing your mind for action, oh boy, we just read one verse, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. And that's an aggressive word. It's not just somebody paid. That's a warfare word. Somebody went to war for you. Somebody paid the price for you so that you would be redeemed. The Bible says you weren't redeemed with silver and gold, You were redeemed with the most valuable treasure in all of the universe, in all of eternity, ever, the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word today, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to bring about the revelation of your truth. I'm excited about holiness. I want to celebrate holiness today. And Lord God, I thank you that you call us to be holy as you are holy. Teach us what this means. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we read this portion of Scripture. Peter is saying to us, be holy as he is holy. And as we look at that Scripture, it's important for us to understand the context of what's taking place. You begin there in that chapter, and you find that Peter says this, I am praising God the Father. I am praising God the Son and I'm praising God the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, I'm just paraphrasing this. I'm gonna tell you why I'm praising God today. I am praising God today because you and I have been born again. This is what Peter is saying to the church. I'm praising God because you and I have been born again. That's great news. That means that we can have a new start, we can have a new beginning. And not only have we been born again to try again in this world, right, with all of the same issues, because we would fall into the same issues again, but we, we, we have been born again into a living hope. So now that we're born again, we're not, God doesn't say you're born again so you can start over and try and you better do better, but we're born again into a living hope because now we have Jesus. So not only are we born again here in this life, but we're born again for eternity. And that's very hopeful, right? That's that's really good news. And the good news about that is that no one can take that hope away from us. It will not fade. It will not perish. You want to know why it won't perish, church? This is what Peter is saying. It won't perish because God is keeping that inheritance. You've been born into living hope, into eternal life, into peace, into joy, into righteousness, and no one ever can take that from you. You want to know why? Because God's keeping it from you. Who can take from God's hands what he's keeping from you? I mean, for you. Awesome, right? But let me tell you this, Peter says to the church, not only is he keeping your inheritance so that you can rejoice in it, but let me just tell you this, he's also keeping you. So this God who made you born again, who has given you a living hope, who is keeping your inheritance, is also keeping you so that if you keep in his word, it is God who keeps you, who can snatch you from the hand of God. That's right. So rejoice. Rejoice. And then he says, you know, that's why when we go through trials, extreme suffering, when we go through things that are excruciating, we're able to persevere. Because we know that these are temporary and light afflictions compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. We're looking forward to that reality. And we are 100% convinced that these hard times that we're going through, are actually hard times that we need in order to give God the glory. So instead of fighting these hard times, instead of rebuking the devil in these hard times, we praise God. We keep our eyes on the living hope. We can't wait for him to return. He's keeping my inheritance, and he's keeping me. And I'm looking forward to him in the midst of my suffering. And by the way, Peter says, the prophets talked about this all along. Back in the days, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, Haggai, Zephaniah, and Malachi. All of the prophets. This is what Peter is saying in the earlier verses. He says, all of them prophesied of that which was to come through Jesus Christ. And God revealed to the prophets that their ministry was basically to serve us. Whoa. I want you to just think about it for a moment. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah and all of the prophets' ministry existed to serve and equip you. God's plan was to use the prophets to minister to you. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that wow? That's so humbling. Yet it was God's plan. And this is what Peter says. And by the way, not only are the prophets who, who prophesied, not only was their ministry about serving serving you to better equip you, but let me just tell you this. The angels didn't even know what God was doing. And now the angels are looking down from heaven to see what was prophesied being fulfilled in your life. In your life, in your life, because they are excited, they're overwhelmed at the glory of God in you, which is the hope of glory. That's incredible stuff. That's incredible stuff to think about. And then after he says that, he basically says, look, you have living hope. You have an inheritance. The Father's keeping your inheritance. The Father's keeping you. The prophets live to serve you, to prepare you. The angels are looking down from heaven to see how God is revealing his glory through you. All of these things are for you, not against you. You start winning. You start as a champion. And in light of all that you have going for you in Christ, be holy. Yeah, that puts holiness in a whole nother perspective. Well, God's keeping me. He's keeping my inheritance. He's given me new birth. He's called me to this living hope. He's filled me with His Holy Spirit. Man, this puts holiness in a whole nother perspective. It doesn't depend on me, it depends on what He's already done. And in light of what He's already done, what does that holiness look like? Number one, don't be lazy in your mind, be ready for action, stay sober. One of the main commandments in the Bible is what? Love the Lord with all your mind. Love the Lord with all your mind. We preached about this several months ago. You have a responsibility to grow mentally. As a Christian, you have a responsibility to educate yourself the truth of the kingdom. The fact that God has called you, no matter in what state he's called you, whether you were studious or not, the reality of the matter is that God calls you into his wisdom So I want you to begin to pray. Say, God, you have called me to have the fear of the Lord, which is to live my life in reverence of you. Therefore, the fear of the Lord, according to the word of God, is wisdom. So, God, I want to live my life with wisdom. I want to be alert. I want to be a student of your word. I want to know the truth. Love the Lord with all your mind. Loving the Lord with all our mind is living a holy life. Second, await his return with joy. You know, they say that in retirement, when you're, or whenever you're investing in stocks, one of the key principles is don't, invest, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Make sure that your investments are spread out so that if anything were to happen with one stock, you know, you don't lose all of your investments. It's a wise thing to do. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's one basket, yeah. <laughs> the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, give me all that you have. Give me all that you have. Put it at my hands, right? And so uh, what does it look like to wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? To live our lives, handle our finances, handle our relationships, handle our, you know, how we do our lives in light of the reality that Jesus can come back at any moment. Does what you invest in reflect the fact that you're looking forward to Jesus' return? That doesn't mean that you neglect your needs now. It means that you understand that you do not live for the kingdom of this world. You live for that one which is to come. What does that look like? I want you to have vision for your life and your marriage and your finances. I I promise you, I am completely convinced of this reality. If you go to God and you say, God, I I want my finances to shake earth for the kingdom of God. I want you to give me vision for my finances, my resources, my job, my energy. That God will not be silent. He will not be silent. He will instruct you. I'm not picking up another offering. Don't don't worry about that. But I'm convinced that if you submitted yourself to God that way, that God will give you a vision for life that you couldn't even have imagined. Awaiting His return with joy means that we put everything in for the return. We're waiting for Him. Third, He said, imitate and seek the favor of the Father. He says, be holy as I am holy, right? Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. If you call Him Father and judge, who judges impartially, be holy. And it's kind of like, you know, I see Lily once in a while, she puts on her mama's shoes and she starts walking around and giggling, <laughs> right? And you see kids that do that, right? They want to wear their dad's shoes or their, parents, their mama's shoes and they're walking around, right? Because they just think they're classy or good looking. They just want to be so grown up so much, right? There has to be that desire in you as a child that you long to be holy as your father in heaven is holy, that you put on those shoes, not because it's, of course you're aware those shoes are too big. Of course, you know that that's way beyond you. But you start imitating your Father in heaven because it brings him joy. Say, boy, I'm not anywhere near to who you are, God, but I want to be just like you. And I'm going to put on these shoes and just walk. And I'm going to feel clumsy because these shoes are big, but I'm going to grow into them. And when I grow into them, I'm going to be just like you. You see, holiness is something to celebrate, not something to dread. Holiness is something to grow into. Not something to push away from. Imitate and seek the favor of the Father. And ultimately, the last thing that Peter basically said in that scripture is, remember the price that was paid for you. Remember the price that was paid for you. You're a pilgrim. You don't belong to this world. You have been ransomed, ransomed, uh, summed. By the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the most valuable resource in all of eternity, in all of the spiritual and natural world. God paid it, spent it for you. Therefore, be holy as I am holy. Some of you are here today, and maybe you want to say, I don't know that I can live this way and that I can pay that price. I don't know that I can be holy. And really the question that I think we need to be asking ourselves is, can you really afford the price of not being holy? Can you really afford the price of not trying to imitate your Father in Heaven and your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And as we close today, I want to give you three reasons why you want to be holy. Three major reasons. Number one, because those who are holy have freedom. Those who are holy have freedom. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who have believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's the beginning of holiness? Number one, the revelation of who God is. Where do we have God's revelation of who he is? In the word of God. So how do we begin to take steps in being holy? Being in the word of God. And as we continue being in the word of God, God will reveal his truth to us. When that revelation of God's truth will come to us, we'll realize, wow, this is freedom and this is not freedom, but I'm living in not freedom, but God's called me to freedom. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to keep in the Word a little bit at a time until I'm closer to here, then I'm closer to there, right? Because the Word, if I continue in it, it sets me free, and if the Word sets me free, I'm free indeed completely, amen? Why do you want to be holy, number one? Because there's freedom and holiness. Number two, because those who are holy have power. Because those who are holy have power. Who is holy? God is holy. Why does he call us to be holy? So that we can be in communion with him. What have we been created to do? To walk in close relationship with him with nothing hindering us right, so that we would know him. And in knowing God, it's a a sign of holiness. Knowing God is a sign of holiness, but also in in knowing God is where we find the source of our power in knowing him. The Bible tells us this. We're going to read that scripture very quickly. Acts chapter 19 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the deceased left them and the evil spirits went out. I want you to think about the power and authority that drenched Paul. It was so thick that the, the Bible basically tells us that people were taking cloth and things that they would touch uh, that Paul would touch and then they would take and then God would do incredible things in others' lives that are not even there. Can you imagine that? I mean, how did I find out that that worked? Right, yeah. Yeah, it must have been that it that it was happening without them noticing that they were preaching and somebody who was blind stumbled on them and then all of a sudden, wow, I could see. It's like, oh, man, I'm preaching. Dude, you're scaring me. You know, I mean, what happened? How did they find out that that actually worked? You know, it's not like they started an apron ministry, apron assembly of God. Take this apron to your grandma, she will be saved. No, you know, no, it's not nothing like that. So it must have been that just by happenstance, by the glory of God, things were happening so fast that these things were just, By the shadow of Peter, people were being healed. God was putting faith in people, and God was moving. And in the midst of the move of God, there's always those who try to copy. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists, and this is very important because what they were um, what the uh, what uh, the deeper studies would show is that they were like magicians. They would employ all kinds of tricks from all kinds of places to see what would work. They had this idea that if you called on higher spirits, the higher spirits had authority over the lower spirits. They would they're the ones that introduced the idea. Well, you got to call things by name in order to have authority by them. These were actually things that these people uh, believed. And so the seven uh, these these were seven sons of Skiva a Jewish priest, and they were doing this thing. They were going around, and they were doing these exorcisms by their dark powers. And uh, at one point, let me see, where are we? Verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you, or I command you, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. That's the way they would start like you saying, I pray in the name of Jesus that my pastor knows. I don't know him, haven't talked to him, but my pastor knows him, and that Jesus, right? I am praying in the name of Jesus that so-and-so knows, in the name of the Jesus that my parents serve. I don't serve him, but my parents serve him. And the evil spirits answered and said to them, well, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirits leaped on, on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Here's the lesson in holiness. Number one, you can't just add Jesus to your bag of tricks. Right, you are set apart for Jesus. Jesus is not something you can add to your tricks. Secondly, demons are constantly giving glory to Jesus in the New Testament. Ain't that something? I mean, they didn't. These demonic entities didn't have to speak to the seven sons of Sceva, but they did. And what did they say? I know Jesus. I know Jesus, and I know the Paul you speak of. But you sucker, right? I mean, what a disastrous scene. And what does the Bible say? People saw that, and the fear and reverence of God fell in that place, and they magnified God. I don't want God to be magnified in my life because of a situation like this. Anybody with me? No, not at all. Why do you want to be holy? Because there's power And holiness. As you say, I'm going to fight with sin until sin has no more victory over my life. As you say, I will not give in anymore. I'm going to keep fighting and keep fighting and I'm going to keep getting up and I'm going to keep confessing and I'm going to keep moving forward. There's power in that. And I believe that the source of our power, of course, praise God for his grace and his grace alone, but his grace teaches us to live holy lives and to say no to ungodliness according to Titus. But there's a lot of us who may be looking holy, but we're faking it till we make it. Right? And so uh, we we have to learn to just say, Lord, I am willing to come before you, confess my sins to you, not act like something I am not, and just declare that I am a sinner in need of grace. Teach me to walk this holiness out because I don't want to be all growl and no bite. So Adrian Rogers has this illustration about all growl or all roar, but no bite. It says, there's a tiger met a lion as they sat beside a pool. Set the tiger to the lion. Why are you roaring like a fool? Oh, that's not foolish, said the lion with a twinkle in his eyes. They call me the king of all beasts because I advertise. Or rabbit Heard them talking, ran on like a streak. He thought he would try the lion's plan, but his roar was just a squeak. A fox came to investigate and had lunch in the woods. And so, my friend, when you advertise, be sure that you have the goods. (laughs) Do you get that today? I'll explain it to you later. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. There's power in holiness. Tell them I'm still preaching, Tom. Come on, brother. (laughs) Listen. There's power in holiness. And I know that this may seem a little bit tough, but can I just encourage you today? We can't walk and have victory if we're not choosing holiness. Bible says, be holy as I am holy. If it's really God's grace, it's teaching you to be holy. So today I'm calling you to fight for that holiness. So number one, we said that there's freedom in holiness. Number two, we said that there's power in holiness. And last thing is there's Fruit and holiness. John fifteen, fifteen on down says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Why be holy? Because as you're holy, you bear fruit. And it's very interesting. What is holiness? God setting you apart. And when he sets you apart, he begins to work in your life. Sometimes sometimes through major blessings. Sometimes through major storms. But through it all, the Father is watering, nurturing, and pruning. And all of that is the process of God making you holy. Would you stand with me today? Thank you, sir. So in other words, I have super good news for you. In Christ Jesus, for those of us who give our lives to him, we're born again. Man, we're given a clean slate. New mercy. A new day has begun. A new heart. A new life. And praise God, there's hope in it too. You're not going to go back or revert back to sinful ways. I'll tell you why. Because you have living hope. A hope of being raised to new life for eternity. And by the way, not only for eternity, there's a bunch of stuff waiting for you. God has an inheritance for you. And that inheritance, nobody can take away. And time will not make it fade away. You want to know why? Because God's keeping it. And not only is he keeping that inheritance, he's keeping you. And as he's keeping you throughout that process, I just want you to know that he is constantly ministering to you through his word. By the way, the prophets were there to serve you, to minister to you. And now even the angels look down and they're amazed. They're like, wow, look at the glory of God in Tom. Look at the glory of God in Scott. Look at the glory of God in Carmen. Look at the glory of God. And they're amazed. So listen, you have all that for you. You have everything you need in life. In light of that reality, be holy. Be holy. Be holy. Keep alert. Wait for his return. Don't give in. There's power in holiness. There's freedom in holiness. You'll bear fruit in holiness. Let's pray. So that about. Lord, today we thank you that you are holy. Man, are we glad that you're a holy God. I'm so grateful that you're not a tyrant. That there's no double meaning to your word or no fine print. I thank you, God, that your plan for me is not an HMO. I thank you that your plan for me is not going to bite me at the end but your plan for me is good. Oh, man, how good it is to know that the God I serve is a God that I can entrust my whole life to and that he will neither take advantage of me or forget me or neglect me. Wow, you are holy. And you call me to be holy like you are holy. So we say yes, oh God. We say yes, oh God. We say yes. Let's pray here. If you're here today, I'd like to take the time to pray for some of you here at the altar. You've heard this message, and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But you're saying, you know what? Holiness has always been an intimidating topic. That, whole, that verse is one of the most intimidating verses to me. Be holy is God is holy. When I think of holiness, I just feel so much shame, so much guilt. But I, but I realize today the joy of holiness. I realize today my need for holiness. I realize why I should commit to holiness. And today I just want to come to the Lord to say, give me a new mind, a new appetite for holiness. And I say yes to the call in discipleship to be holy. I say yes. If that's you today, would you come to the altar right now? Just respond to the Lord right now. You're saying, I say yes. I say to the Lord, I want to be a set-apart life for Him. I want to walk away from the things that keep me from saying yes to Him. That doesn't mean that you're perfect. That doesn't mean that you... uh, won't make mistakes it certainly doesn't mean that you won't fall short or sin it's going to happen we fall short what does bible say little children do not sin but if you do sin you have an advocate he's praying for you it means that you're committed to the life of holiness so i'm not trying to make this call any easier than it is if you're responding today you're saying i'm going to choose holiness i want to learn to choose holiness instead of choosing sin that's what i'm calling you to today You're here today and you're saying, I want to learn to say yes to holiness instead of choosing sin. I say yes to the walk. If that's you today, would you come to the altar right now? Let's respond in faith to God. Amen. Love to pray with you. I remember sitting in an auditorium filled with a thousand students and hundreds of them studying ministry. And there I sat knowing I needed grace, I needed forgiveness, tired of battling with pornography, tired of that thing having control of me at night. I remember the preacher saying in front of a thousand students there, he said, some of you want to be free from pornography. You're done with that sin having control of your life and you're you're you don't care. You don't care what people think but you're gonna come up to this altar because you want freedom. Now remember Just sitting there in that auditorium, preparing for ministry, mind you, battling with a serious addiction. And I thought to myself, if I go up there, I'm going to lose my reputation, I'm going to lose it all. But I also thought to myself, I don't care anymore. I want to be free. And I went up to that altar in front of thousands of students, just me and another student. But it didn't matter. Because since I've been free, I've been free. Years of victory over pornography. I have been set free. I've been set free. And uh, I'm pleading today. Are you tired enough of your sin that you don't care? You're willing to say, I want freedom. That's you. Would you come to the altar right now? Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet. And you realize today that you you need him. You realize your life is heading in the wrong direction eternally. That right now you're living a life separated from God without his peace or his joy. Well, today I'd like to welcome you to the altar. And i love to welcome you into the family of God. If today you want to say yes to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be a believer. This is what the Lord says. He forgives you of your sins. He cleanses you. He fills you with His precious Holy Spirit. And He will be your number one counselor through life that will teach you how to do life. And by the way, his presence will always overcome your flesh for several reasons. Number one, because greater is he that is in you than him that's in the world. And number two, because he's going to give you a new heart with new desires. It's going to change you from the inside out. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, the altars are open. We'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let me pray with you. Would you extend your hands as I just bless you today? You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are cared for by God. You are called to a living hope in God. There's an inheritance for you in God. God is keeping that inheritance and in you. You're blessed and highly favored. In light of all that, in the name of Jesus, I charge you, be holy. Be holy. His Holy Spirit will train you. His Holy Spirit will equip you, grow in holiness, and he that begun a good work in you will finish it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. The altars are open. We're going to be praying here. If you need prayer, you can remain here. If you need prayer for something else, we'd love to pray for you today. God bless you. Have a great day.